Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Along with my partner, Brian Siegler, I am Curtis Wilson. Big guy, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, buddy. Doing good. Got the uh, NFL game on here. Looking at some Lakers as well. Got a little brew. How about you, man? I don't have the NFL game, although you informed me a little while ago. My tight end, Mike Giuseppe, scored a touchdown. I appreciate that. Got the uh, college game on over here, the the real battle for Alabama, South Alabama, UAB. Watching you later as well. (laughs) Got a uh, nine-point lead with six minutes left in the second half. It is approximately 9.51 Thursday night. And as of right now, as we pressed record, the Hokies are playing this week. The Hokies game has not been moved, ladies and gentlemen. Um, We are less than 48 hours from kickoff. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed, man. And, And I tell you, so much of the stuff we've seen this week coming out, you know, if you noticed, voice of the Hokies, John Laser, like, he officially stopped the broadcast booth with snacks. And it's kind of like, oh, wait a second. Okay. This guy's getting ready to be sitting in a booth for close to six hours. Got to have some food. And then have you been keeping up with Trey Turner in the countdown? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I was sad when it started over last week, but it's nice to see we've uh, we've gotten below five this week. So we're, we're down to two. Let's keep it moving. We'll see one tomorrow, and hopefully, we'll no new information will come out that'll change course. So I am hopeful, but I feel like we're we're as close to it as we can get at this point. And I feel like, barring a huge unforeseen circumstance that puts us out of the compliance for the ACC protocols, we're we're rolling with what we have. Absolutely. (laughs) And then it's been cool, like seeing the pictures of the field prep. And then the day that picked the the full on view of Lane, which was absolutely beautiful. It looks ready to be played. Um, and then tonight, um, did you see uh, the jersey reveal? I haven't caught that yet. I know you said you caught that. What was that like? Oh, very nice. Uh, some basic, you know, nothing special. Just your your maroon top with the stripes, white pants. Um, no special. Uh, Divine Diablo was modeling in the twenty five, which. I'm hoping that is a good sign. Maybe he's playing Saturday that they did the video <laughs> with him this week. Um, yeah, if they if they put a video of him, may, maybe that was shot this week. And if that was shot this week, that makes me feel good about him being a go. Um, speaking of 25, it looks like uh, good old J.R. Walker is going to be wearing 25 Absolutely. for the game on Saturday. Absolutely. The red shirt freshman, man, who uh, pretty big commit when he came last year, wearing the 25 – Says a lot. Um, he was the backup nickel. I don't know if he's going to be the backup nickel. I think he might be playing somewhere else. I think the depth chart's kind of, eh, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, right now, I, I'm not sure what to think about the depth chart. I mean, we I think we've got some confirmed guys at this point, but there's yeah. probably about four or five spots on both sides of the ball that are still kind of kind of question marks as far as who's going to be the guy that's laced them up for the for, for to start the game at least. Um, Can I one guy who's definitely who you got? Dax. Yeah. Well, said in the press conference, I got COVID. So yeah, Dax. Yeah. Won- so Dax yeah. is definitely a go. He's got three months of uh, 
of not even have to worry about contact tracing, not have to worry about taking <laughs> tests. So he's good for three months. So I'm sure that makes him, you know, re- I'm sure it wasn't pleasant having it if he had the symptoms, but if yeah. at this point, I'm sure he's glad that portion of it is behind him for now. And he can kind of move forward on that. Um, yeah. I mean, talking about the Jersey reveal, man, are, are you, uh, are you still a fan of the stripe or are we, uh, no, no, it's, you know, it's one of these things where maybe it's just what the age group we came up on. Home games should be all maroon, all maroon, dark shoes. It's one of those things where the years we went, some of the best years it was, it was all maroon everything. And it was intimidating because you know, a Saturday night and it you come out in all maroon and it's dark. It's kind of like, I don't know if I want to go play those guys over there. So, you know, it is what it is. I wish they would just turn it back a little bit, but that's not the era we live in, man. Now, uh, Brian, something you just popped to me a few minutes before Diablo fan accounts trailer. <laughs> yes. <to> <laughs> so it o- opens with the Harry Potter cut. Then it goes into the Space Jam. Space Jam. And it's it's hilarious. The entire video. It's just the sound effects and like some of the pop-ins were were, were pretty funny as well. The random um Oregon softball player. Yeah, yeah. I'm still let's let's still try to figure out that one. Um you I mean, know. I know she was trending for a lot of like the TikToks and stuff she was doing earlier. So I guess he was like, "All right, so she's kind of virally famous. Let's throw Maybe her in there." I think I think it, uh, she threw a, re- a like or a retweet on it. So that's kind of you know. no, no, no. She she put a she did a quote re- retweet on it, and that's okay, what I okay, okay. And I was like, "Why is she quoting Diablo's account?" Because this was like a couple hours ago, like after we ate dinner, I was looking at my phone for a second, making some last second notes for the pod tonight. And I'm like, why did she retweet this? So hilarious to see that. And now this was last week, but we'll go from the comedic to the cinematic, the Sons of Saturday uh, trailer. Pretty epic. Pretty yeah. epic, would you say? Yeah. Drop the, uh, the Dark Knight Rises uh, monologue in the background there and some of the uh, the score for that movie, along with a lot of really good footage. Yeah, some well-timed cuts, and I mean, it, it was it was really tight. It was really tight, and, and and got me and Brian's brain rolling over here. Not this year, obviously, but me and Brian are sitting here after we see the Sons of Saturday trailer, texting back and forth about twenty minutes. Ooh, this when we could do this. So basically, we're already sort of uh, we're already writing our trailer script for next year. Yeah, I, I got to polish up my skills on uh, Premiere before we start start dropping trailers here. It's okay. We got 11 months. We got 11 months. Some we can work on. We Some we can work on. Um, other news um, came out just not too long ago. Pac-12 is returning. Um, yes. Because Pac-12 I, after dark. Yes. Pac-12 but after Only dark. after daylight savings time has already hit because they're not coming back until November. November 6th. They're going to play seven games. Um, and if you look at the Pac-12, they are 14 team, so it looks like they're going to probably play their own division, and then do have the championship game of the two division winners, and then everybody else play each other to get that seventh game. Um, the one other thing that came out, Brian, 
um, uh, we're, we're going to extend the bowl streak this year. Hey, <laughs> everybody gets to go to a bowl. Everybody's a winner. Everybody, um, which I think is the right thing to do, you know, because of this crazy year. And yeah, few, fewer games. You've got so many unforeseen circumstances and different conferences playing different number of games. I mean, it just really throws off yep. the competitive balance about who, you know, even if you like for the most part, I mean, the, the kind of thing we were going with is, you know, 50% uh, of your schedule could get you into a bowl. So, yep. you know, it, does that mean, you know, four wins for the pac 12? Does that mean you know, five wins for the ACC? the ACC? I mean, what does that mean? So, uh, it, it's good that they at least took that kind of jostling out of out of play there because I think that was going to be a clown show if it came down to that. Those clowns took an easy initiative. Everybody can go to a bowl this year because there's not going to be enough teams probably. And they said like the bowls can start as early as December 1st, but pretty much every conference is playing at least into the first week of December, so I'm not sure what that's going to look like. They don't know. They're just they're lost. The NCAA is lost. So yeah, man. Um, I'm guessing that might apply to some of the uh, the G5 schools because I, I don't their conference games wrap up a little a little bit earlier. Earlier, so maybe a couple of them get thrown in there and stuff. So either way, it's it's kind of a good decision to make. Yeah. Um, and and feeling like this weekend, Brian, too, with the SEC beginning and. It feels like he, as we, me and you kind of looked through the schedule this week as we were deciding, you know, we make picks, we're going to make some out of conference picks. It's just fun to do. But it feels like this is your first big week and you have a couple big top 25 matchups. You've got quite a few top 20 teams who are not playing garbage teams. They're playing actually good competition. So height, height. Unfortunately, I want to probably miss some of the 12s. I got a 12 o'clock baseball practice with the, uh, sun. So. Um, and I'm coaching again. So, Hey, coach Wilson, how you doing, buddy? Coach Wilson, <laughs> you know, it, it's good. It's, it's a lot of fun to get kids out there playing baseball, but, uh, so I'm going to be missing some games here and there periodically, hopefully no hokey games, but, uh, we'll see. Hi, right, Brian. Let's go, man. We got to know our enemy, uh, this week. Virginia Tech plays the NC State Wolf Pack. The Wolf Pack are 1-0 after a win over the Wake Forest Demon Deacons um, in a game that, I mean, you kind of hit on a little bit. That game reminded me of a Big 12 game, not a typical ACC game. Yeah, it looked like a Big 12 game. They were back and forth. Um, you know, early on it was back and forth. Then, like, kind of in the middle, there were run by NC State, then a run by Wake Forest to, cl- to close the gap, and then – um, you know, kind of closed in another back and forth there. So yeah. um, definitely I didn't necessarily see that coming, but. Neither did Vegas. <laughs> they did not see the over-under coming. They they did get the line right. That's a, that is the game you, you beat me heads up on that we went uh, we went off against uh, by two and a half. I literally lost it by a half point. You won it by a half point. So they had that figured out. They pegged the teams to be very similar, but they, they were like, I think it was 55 was the yeah. over. Crap, both teams damn near hit that level. So it was kind of funny to see that. All right, so we're going to do this. We're going to start today. We're going to start with the NC State offense reactions. Um, 
some things, stats we looked at. Brian looked at some of the tape just to give you guys a quick breakdown. And, Brian, I want to start out here with the uh, NC State quarterback, Bailey Hockman. Um, the JUCO transfer, you know, good stat line, 16 for 23, 191 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The interception was a pick six. Um, 30 yards rushing with a long of 14 on eight attempts, also rushed for a touchdown. A couple things I noticed just watching the game Saturday night, it seemed like in the first half he couldn't miss. And going back doing the research and looking, yeah, he started 11 for 11, which is pretty damn good. Um, but he did finish five of 12, including that interception. Um, and that was kind of from the late second quarter on through the end of the game. Now, I know you've got some stuff you want to say on, but I'm going to just a couple more things yeah. um, put out there, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Brian. Of the 16 completions, seven were to his running backs. That seems like, like your borderline half of your throws were check downs. Um, and then another thing, if you take a kind of the couple of the big plays out, his average per attempt goes from 8.8, which is a really good number, down to 6.8, which is right at that average to maybe slightly below average. Um, Ryan, the first thing I'll ask you is, what's the big difference you saw between the beginning where it just he was on fire and then on the second half he's throwing under 50%, he throws a pick six, he, he doesn't seem like something had happened in, you know, by the end of the second quarter. So two things happened. Number one, they threw fewer screens in the second half. So he wasn't getting some of those easy completions to the running backs like you were talking about. The second thing that happened is that Wake did had a little bit of adjustments at halftime. And while they were still able to rush the ball well against Wake in the second half, they were taking away a lot of those big chunk plays that you saw in the first half in the running game. And so that limited what they could do in the play action game. The thing I noticed about Hawkman is that when he was trying to get the ball to his wide receivers, a lot of those times when it went to a tight end or wide receiver, it was coming off of that play action. And they were doing a pretty good job working the ball between the numbers and they were doing, and they were getting the, the ball between the numbers on that play action a couple different ways. So sometimes they'd send either, the tight end H back or wing back. If it's like a running back, they would send them up the seam, but occasionally they'd send either a slot or a, uh, or a wide receiver on like a dig um, behind the linebacker. So they would use the play action to keep the linebackers in the box and then throw over the top. Hockman did take off a couple times, but he's not a guy that's going to hurt you with his legs. Um, he's not a run first guy. They're not going to design a lot of plays where he is the primary runner. Um, he's going to be a guy that's just going to play b- breaks down. He can get you a first down. He's got a little twitch. In terms of athletic ability, reminds me a lot of Ryan Willis, kind of in that same vein. Not not an athlete, not a guy you really want to be carrying the ball, but he's got enough twitch to get you a first down when you need it. But, again, he was really dependent on the play action to get those things going outside of getting the ball to his running backs. He had a couple really good throws down the sideline, though, that shows he's got the arm to make make those throws outside. But I think he's still working on his timing, and that was evident when you looked at that uh, that pick six. He was late throwing the uh, the out, and it just got taken to the house. Yeah, now, unfortunately for us, he's got that game under his belt. Obviously, a chance to go back, clean up the mistakes, you know, work with your receivers some more in practice. So that's one of those things that, you know, 
it, 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 for us, it thinks this is our first game. We're going to be right out where they've got that game. They've got some tape yep. yeah, that's going to help us in some ways, but it's going to hurt us in others. Yep. So now let's, let's go to the run game. What did you see, um, from what they were doing with their backs and the offensive line? So the big thing that they like to do is they like to, um, with their running game, they have an aiming point that's off tackle and then a lot of cutback lanes. So whether it's inside or outside zone, um, yeah, they were doing a good job of, of cutting on the, on the backside of the play to widen the cutback angles for the running back. The big thing I saw is that, so if you're running left, you got your guard and tackle on the backside, they're cutting their men. So now you've got two defensive linemen that are stagnant. And now with the zone side, you, you've got a widening of the gap. So there's a cutback lane, but if the aiming, if the angle that they're going for is there, they're taking that getting up field. But it also, because of that widened cutback lane, if the linebackers aren't disciplined and they, or they get blocked, there's also a big alley up the middle. All right. So what, what I'm hearing is what they're trying to do is they're essentially making you, we need to set the edge. We need to yeah. set the edge where we want them to flow back in, especially with our linebackers, um, you know, regardless. Because if, if we're setting that edge where they can't get around or they're having to do the big hump, it, it, a couple bad things happen, right? And you, Yeah, you we need to move the line of scrimmage, I think, and get penetration because right now they were pretty much – Every time I saw them run the ball, they were getting to their aiming point. And once you're there, you have options depending on how how the offensive line is able to block it. But because if you're getting to your aiming point, you can cut back, you can stay in the alley. Everything that you want to do with the play design is still open to you. If you get penetration, you make that running back run the hump. Now they're forced into going outside. Got it. Did you see? Okay, this is scouting another opponent is Wake Forest good on the defensive line or just what you're seeing. And and, and I'm not saying talent wise, but technique wise, because it is Wake Forest. If they aren't good technique wise, there ain't a lot of four star, five star guys on Wake Forest's line. Now I'd say they're, they're very average. They had some plays where they disrupted and then they had a lot of plays where, they were very dependent on their linebackers making making the play. So if the linebackers got blocked, they were in trouble. Okay. Like I said, that that starts with not being able to get penetration because you know, this outside zone that they ran a lot. They ran a lot of the outside zone. They ran a couple plays. Um, so one that I saw on film a couple times, they did uh, a, a pin and pull sweep. So play side pins. You got two two guys pulling around the edge to lead on the sweep. So that that can create some problems there because with the pin you usually can stop the penetration and it's all up you know whether your lead guys can get out there or not. Um, but they also did like a a couple of times I saw, I think it was Houston lined up in the wing at the kind of the wing H area and then they would put him in motion for a shovel pass um, on the sweep to get outside and neither of neither time they ran that play. Was there any any penetration where he had to run the hump? So he was getting to the edge, getting in the alley, and then, like I said, even if you got guys out there, he's got options at that point because he's already hit his aiming point. Absolutely. Well, Brian, just kind of looking at it, what you're saying, you know, it, it reflects in the numbers too. I mean, they didn't have anybody go over 100 yards. 
I mean, but they had two guys at the doorstep. Uh, Ricky Person Jr. had 99. Zonovan Knight had 97. Um, both two highly rated guys. Uh, Person was a, you know, a top 50 player, four-star running back out of high school. Knight was another four-star guy. So two very, you know, highly touted running backs there. They ran the ball 49 times, yeah. which, you know, kind of tells you, you kind of take that look at that differential. I mean, more than two to one passing and they averaged five and a half per carry. Um, even adjusting, taking you know, long runs out, which is what I do. That's just me. They're still at four and a half person. But when you look at the two guys who got the bulk of those yards, person and Mike combined for 5.8 a carry. That's good. That's really good. They were they were getting chunks. Just yeah. watching the tape, they were getting chunks, especially in the first half. Um, Wake did a better job in the second half of limiting the big runs, but they were still productive on most of their carries. And I think that's something that we're going to need to to slow down. We need to make them not only, like I said, penetration is going to limit some of their options, but if if we're letting them get five or six yards every every carry, even if we take away the big plays, that's still going to be a problem. That's that's your it's it's not the the death by one by one slice. It's a death by a thousand cuts. It's yeah yeah a little little. So you know clearly in in the five point eight Brian was taking out their long runs. So not even that's their like I said that that's why it's going to be we we're going to have to be on our point you know, stopping that run because that everything they do is predicated on getting a good, good run on first and second down. Do you play action opens up and the, the short passing game with the screens and the flare outs to the running back open up. Do you think, um, do you think we're going to load the box? Do you think we're going to say we're drop divine 10 yards off whoever's playing Rover boundary safety, right on the line of scrimmage with this goal of we're going to fill your gaps. Our ends are going to set the edge. Our guys are going to be in all the right gaps where if you're going to beat us, you're going to, you're going to prove as you can throw this ball first. Um, Because I I think about this and I know Justin Hamilton is not Bud Foster. Tim Beck, who is their offensive coordinator comes from the urban Meyer school. And the stuff you're talking about, you go back to stuff urban likes to do. We saw what stopped that. Back it, I mean, it's it's smash mouth spread type philosophies yeah. here. Yeah. So, but but we know running, you know, maybe odd fronts, blowing the box and saying, "Listen, you're, you're not going to beat us this way. If you beat us this way, you're really going to be grinding hard to beat us. You're going to have to throw the ball downfield." And right now, from what we're seeing, he's got the arm to do it, but he did not prove it against Wake Forest in his second game. Can Bailey Hoffman do that? What we need to do is make them pay for trying to run those outside zones and aiming for that off tackle because Wake didn't do that consistently enough. They kept going back to it. Um, We need to make them pay with three and four yard losses consistently if they're going to keep trying to go outside on us. What can we do to do that? Other than, I mean, is it, is it something where you're like running, running a Chamari kind of blitz? I mean, I, I think you can do some run blitzes to the to the strong side. I think you yeah. can you can do some other things to essentially press the edge where you think they're going with the football and make them have to either make that cut sooner or run the hump. Okay, got it. I mean, because the way the the wide receivers and tight ends look, you know, you know, I already told you he threw seven balls 
to his running backs. He only had nine to his tight end or wide receivers. Um, you know, that's again, not a lot. His, his top receiver had two receptions for 45 yards. That's the tight end, Carrie Angeline, who's a USC transfer from Southern Cal. Um, he's a big guy, six, seven, you know, pretty high rated guy when he came out. But when you start taking a look at nobody had no wide receiver had more than two catches. What you're saying is in, in kind of what we're predicating is if we're going to win this game, we're going to make him throw or attempt to throw more than two times to any one wide receiver. And we need to make sure that we've got our guys that have a man responsibility on these plays to not have their eyes in the backfield on the play action, because that's really the thing that in the passing game that, that really hurt wake. They weren't scary if they were just dropping back in a three or five step drop and slinging it. Yeah. Occasionally if, if their running backs broke a tackle or got in space, that was a problem, but they, they weren't just lining up and throwing the ball downfield and getting chunk plays that way. That wasn't what they were doing. Every chunk play they got in the passing game pretty much came off of play action, um, either up the seam or on a on a dig behind the linebackers that it kind of got sucked in on the play action. Um, I will I do want to give a shout out because I'm an offensive lineman, so I want to do this. Ekem Ekwanu, left guard for NC State. Keep your eye on him. Um, he's a guy that. I saw out there like motor for days and was like slinging people around a few times. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. And he wasn't, he wasn't a liability in, in, uh, in pass pro either. He, I think he's a freshman. I think is what, what Ooh. I saw. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that is going to be someone you want to keep an eye on for the next few years. Cause uh, he popped out on film and again, he's, he's got a few years left in the tank there before, um, you know, he's done at NC State. So keep an eye on him as a key offensive lineman uh, for that unit. Good to know that, Brian. All right, well, let's flip from the NC State offense to the uh, NC State defense. Um, we're looking at – it's Tony Gibson. Tony Gibson runs a three three five stack. This isn't the first time that the Hokies have seen Tony Gibson or his stack defense. Um, back in 2017, battle for the Black Diamond Trophy against West Virginia. Um, he was the defensive coordinator for that team. Hokies put up 31 points, 460 yards of offense on him, 230 pass, 230 rush, so a very balanced game. But still, I, I look at the statistics from Saturday night against Wake, Brian, they had six sacks. That's that's a lot in any game. Heck, you tell me we have six sacks on Saturday, I'd love it. Yeah. You tell me we have 12 tackles for loss. You're telling me 18 plays of usually college football team runs, you know, right around most of them average about 70 plays a game. You know, that's a quarter of your plays where they're getting negative yards. Yeah. Um, you know, they also uh, recovered a fumble, but they still gave up 39 points, which is, which is a lot um, because I'm even taking, excuse me, not 39 points. They gave, yeah, 42. Points. Yeah, 36 points, excuse me. Yeah. I can't do math today. Um, but, Brian, when we look at a 3-3 stack, what, what's, what's things we need to look for as we're watching the game that, okay, they're doing this good, this, this is not good for us, or they're doing this bad, and this is good for us? 
So what they like to do is pretty much kind of a, uh, they're either bringing the house or they're dropping pretty much everybody. Um, there's not a whole lot of in between, uh, for them, especially on passing downs, okay. um, which explains why they end up getting a lot of sex. So they're either bringing six or bringing three or four. Okay. Um, uh, and, and they do it sometimes from multiple layers of the defense. Sometimes it's just they're bringing those three linemen and three inside linebackers. It really depends on what they're trying to do. But that's what they like to do is they they bring blitz. Sometimes it's a little bit of a delay okay. uh, from the linebackers. So you kind of get the linemen committed. And then sometimes that opens up those pass rush lanes for the linebackers to sneak in. They do some other things with the – Strong side and weak side safety. So that's essentially the, you know, you got a free safety, your corners, and then you've got a strong and weak side safety in the, in the three, three, five. Um, they'll bring them off the edge as kind of like a fourth rusher in like a zone blitz scheme. And so okay. sometimes you had a completely free blitzer coming off the edge that no lineman was really accounting for. So that right. explains a lot of the, a lot of the sacks and okay, some of does. the tackles for loss I'm going to attribute to that you know, wake forest slow mesh that oh yeah. <laughs> it's either really good if the linemen get to the different levels they need to, but it can be a five yard loss because the ball barely gets into the running back's hands before someone's in the backfield. Awesome, Brian. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Let me ask this, Brian, when you looked at it, especially with their drops, um, you know, there's the rumor mills going crazy, whether it be Hen and Hooker, Braxton, Quincy. Are their drops deep enough on those blitzes where if they don't get home, are they going to have space? Let's say it's Hendon, and he's going back. It's a six-man blitz, but we pick it up. He called protection right. You know, big Christian Darisol slid, took this guy out. You know, Nick Gallo stayed in and blocked the other guy, and he's got they got it covered good. Is he going to have a run lane to where we can get significantly positive yards when they can't get home? Yeah, things will open up. Um, they yeah. – they they are bringing the linebackers through different gaps and they're bringing them off the edge. They're not, it's not just all kind of, it's not all of a pinch move. It's not all coming from the edge. They really mix and match. So there's going to be probably a lane in there. Some cases, even when they bring five and six. Um, and you know, I think with the way, you know, they're going, when they bring those blitzes, they're either going zero or cover one across the board there. So that's going to open up some opportunities for our guys to get either a hot route or something in there where they can get the ball and then maybe make a guy miss and get a big play there since they're all in man coverage. Yeah. I like, I mean, Sam Hartman's a good ACC quarterback, but he is not near the athlete that the three guys we have at quarterback are. And that makes me feel good about that. Um, something else that still concern me, Brian, but you, but it might've just been wakes offense. Now that you mentioned it, um, Wake only averaged three yards a carry as a team. Um, that's that's terrible. Even if you took out um, Hartman's negative yard, the sacks and the tackles for loss on him, they still only averaged four point two five. Again, that's that's just that's not good. They did have a lead running back get over one hundred thirty yards. Kenneth Walker did um, one hundred thirty one yards. He averaged about four point nine per carry, which is okay, right at that yeah. five that me and you talk about is kind of being the thing. But you know. You talk about them blitzing. You talk about them dropping in coverage. Um, it, it, I feel like what you're telling me is there, there's going to be some opportunities to probably create a good running game against what they do because if they're dropping a bunch back and you're running some zones or 
you know, options, you know, even the <clears throat> the jet sweep, they're going to be spaced there, whether they're dropping a ton of guys or if they're blitzing. Yeah, and I think what we're going to end up doing is probably um, shifting our fronts a little bit on occasion just to kind of throw off what they're doing and for their alignment and try to work to outflank them pre-snap. So okay. I'm looking for us to try to do that a little bit, um, mess mess with how they're aligning those those uh, strong side and weak side safeties, because um, those are the guys that are could, could potentially disrupt any sort of outside run or jet sweep because they'll fly up upfield and get the penetration. So if okay. we can keep them guessing, they'll have to play a little bit further off the line of scrimmage and give us an opportunity to get to our blocks on them to uh, to, to get to that edge on the jet sweep or some of our uh, zone plays that we have. Yeah, because if they essentially choose the wrong side, there's going to be no one there, and there's an the opportunity for our, you know, guys like Gallo or James Mitchell or you know the linemen to get upfield and to get to those safeties. And I'm sure you, as an offensive lineman, I'm sure there were plays where you loved, like, oh, I get to get upfield and find a 180 pound safety. Yes, let me let me do that so I can make him not like life for the next 20 seconds. And I'll say this too, with the with the three stack, I think we're going to have some success running the ball up the up the middle of the defense. Okay. Um, just because with the three man front and with the experience that I think our interior line is going to have, we should be able to you know at least get get our guy up in the gap and then be able to to navigate, and hopefully break a tackle and make make a, a big run out of it up the middle. Awesome. One other stat I hit you with earlier today was. NC State only had four punts. Two of those four punts were returned, and the average was 19 yards a punt, a long of 26, and then obviously another one of 12 to make that average come up. And, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about Tavion Robinson, Raheem, uh, quite a number of guys. What did you see? Because you, you said you were going to try to find those. Well, it, obviously, the guy, he, he kicked those balls deep because I told you one was at the 13, one was at the 15. What, is it is there coverage issues there? Is it one of those where we have a guy who doesn't know how to kick into the coverage to where his guys are getting there? Because this is this is one of those things where we could flip the field, even if we go three and out. As good as Oscar is, we can flip the field and pin them deep. Yeah. So the thing I saw on on punt, he only had what four punts? Four punts. Yeah. So he had two that weren't essentially from the fifty yard line or inside where. Um, you know, you were trying to pin a guy deep. So two punts that he actually put a full leg into it. And looking at those on tape, you know, it looks like he's a guy that doesn't get a ton of hang time on that full foot punt. Okay. Um, so the, re- the uh, returner has a, a decent amount of time to, you know, get control of the ball, see where the blocks are setting up, and then go from there. Okay. Um, so you know, call it out, kick your coverage, whatever you want to do, just not a lot of hang time. Um, giving that coverage team an opportunity to get down there and surround the returner before he's able to kind of pinpoint where he wants to go with the with the ball. Awesome, Brian. Because I see again, I hear that, and I think about some of our guys returning the punts. Um, he does that to us. He could be not only us flipping the field a lot, but maybe a house call by somebody. Yep. All right, Brian. Let's let's get to our predictions here, man. Because Excuse me. We're going to go to the Hokey Pivotal players next, then our predictions. Um, Brian, me and you kind of talked about it. 
for our defense, obviously, I think me and you feel probably the most important group this week are the linebackers. Yeah, linebackers are going to be pivotal this week, um, making sure that they get in the right gap, that they're controlling their gap, um, that they're not overrunning um, the outside zone where you have those cutback lanes. Because if you do overrun those, there's going to be a lot of feel there for that running back to do some damage. So that's going to be the key, um, you know, making sure that we have good pursuit, that, you know, we got one linebacker playing kind of just inside the running back so he doesn't have those cutback lanes. So, yeah, hopefully they show discipline, but also don't have a problem with getting out there and disrupting some of what they're trying to do, especially when they get like a blitz call to take those uh, aiming points away from the running back so they don't really have those as many options to, to make a play. Yeah. Now, and, and folks, this week, just because of all the chaos, we're not doing specific players um, because we, we don't know who's going to be on the field. Hopefully next week we can truly have pivotal players, not pivotal player groups. <laughs> uh, the other one, Brian, just because we're, we lost a really good player there, the safety group. I do consider Shamari Connor part of that group. Um, I feel like that's our other really pivotal, you know, group of players. A, we're younger there. Um, you know, especially with, if Keonta Jenkins is the starter, I still think it's going to be J.R. Walker. I'm just saying. I just just feel that way. Um, because I feel like Jamari, the more you talk about that outside zone, some of that responsibility for him to set the edge and get there and make that hump, that's going to be on him. And Jamari is that sort of guy because if it's an outside zone, and Brian, you, this is when you blow up an outside zone. You know this. If he gets there and not only sets the edge, but gets further upfield, and our linebackers stay in those lanes, what happens? Again, you're going to get some uh, tackles for loss there. That's what I say. You got to, you got to. We need to make them pay for those outside runs. Um, we need to get there. And if our linebackers, as you just said, are staying sound, staying disciplined, yeah, you can cut it back upfield. You're getting a yard run you're getting a two-yard run because they're right there to meet you. And either you're going to have to shimmy shake, which regardless who our linebackers are, I don't care if it's Rook, Dax, Tiz, or Artis, those guys all have significant playing experience. You're not going to do too much, and they're all very good tacklers. Yep. So I like that. Um, anything else on the safeties maybe I missed? I know when we talked about it, you felt like that was the second group of importance. against. Yeah, you. I mean, it, it's twofold. You know, you talk about the youth and you talk about how they need to fit up in the running game. Um, so I think having the safeties play well is going to determine one of those determining factors of whether we do well uh, st- stopping their run. Because as much as the linebackers need to be key in this the safeties are going to have to come up and make those opportunities, especially when they, when, they, when you know, for whatever reason, we're not getting to those uh, those points, and they uh, they do get to the edge. They need to be ready to fill, ready to make some tackles, ready to make some tackles on the cutback. If you're the uh, the safety away from the where the, where the ball's going, so it's going to be important for them to to have a good game, especially if we're rolling out a true freshman at one of those starting positions. Yeah, which that's what the depth chart told us a little bit earlier this week. Um, all right, on the offensive side, Brian, this isn't 
we didn't specific on one any group, but just some things again you saw what you're talking about that three five. We feel like the run game's important. Um, what what do you feel is it is it line is it or is it, is it line running back sweeps or is it the combination of everything? It's really the combination of everything. Um, obviously, we need good offensive line play across the board. So I mean that's. It's not a pivotal group that we have on here, but because we're talking about run game being an emphasis of, of the success, we got to talk about the offensive line because that's where it starts. Outside of that, you know, we're going to have some opportunities for our running backs to make some plays because of their feast or famine ability to, uh, if they're, if they're bringing the house and they don't guess right, we can hit a home run on them. So, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what those running backs can do. I'm looking forward to um, – I'm going to say a name. We don't know if he's going to be available. We do know he's officially cleared by the NCAA now, but Blackshear will play a big role in the offensive game plan this week um, if he is available to play. So I hope that the first touchdown we have is a Blackshear touchdown off a screen or something fun like that because, you know, your boy here likes screens. I know I know Hokie Nation doesn't always like screens because we sometimes run them in inopportune moments. But when it's called right and it's executed right, a screen is a thing of beauty, ladies and gentlemen. It, it honest to God is, man. All right. Last of our pivotal players here, pivotal players position, it's it's the quarterback position. Um and, and it's for the reason of we don't know who the quarterback's gonna be Saturday. And I know people are like, well Hendon's the one, why would they put him as one on the depth and then name him starter? And we just don't know. Yeah. And if it's if it's Hendon when we roll out there Saturday, I think some of our I think some of our feelings will feel more comfort. Hendon was six and two um last year, could have easily been eight and oh. Um but if it's you know, whether it be Braxton or Quincy, some we talked about, you know, all this offseason is the depth. We know those guys have played at the D1 level. It's been a while for Braxton. Um, you know, we, we've seen Quincy in some situations. But it's 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 truly one of those things. That first snap, Saturday night, a little after 8 o'clock, um, whether me and you are going to be, you know, on Skype, while we're doing watching the game or whether we're going to be texting, it's, it's, it's going to say a lot. Yep. And, you know, we're talking about the quarterback as the key position. The the key thing to me is going to be not turning the ball over because I feel like we're going to be able to move the ball against this defense. Regardless of quarterback, regardless of quarterback, we're going to be able to move this ball against this defense. What will potentially hamper that? is turnover. So what we can't do is put the ball on the turf. We can't throw interceptions. I'm hoping that whoever's playing at quarterback, when they bring those six man pressures, we're smart with the throw. We don't just sling it to the guy that we're comfortable with. We try to find the right target uh, or find the hot route for that particular play and get the ball there instead of just, chuck it on a wing and a prayer there and you know, hope something good happens. Let's be smart with the football. Let's not turn it over. And I think if we can do that, there's going to be opportunities to hit some big plays on this defense and, and really put up some points. So I'm expecting some rust. I'm hoping that rust doesn't, that interceptions and turnovers don't come along with that rust. Cause Got that it. will put us in a bad spot. 
All right, Brian. Now let's get to our predictions. And these are going to hey. be. Yeah. Oops. Sometimes when you read a rundown wrong. Um, Brian, I'm going to let you go first. Unless you want me to go, we're going to play paper, paper, rock, scissors to decide who goes first. You know, if uh, I'll go first, I don't mind going first here. Okay. What, what, what do you if, think? I, if I knew who was 100% playing, I'd say I like us by at least two touchdowns. Okay. Not knowing who's going to be suiting up for us, I still like us. Okay. Um, I think it's probably going to be one of those one touchdown games. We might need a score late to kind of put it a little bit out of reach. Um, okay. So I'm going to say something like uh, – Give me 31-24. 31-24. All right. Um, yeah, if, if I knew who was playing or if we were full 100%, I'm with you. I 14, maybe even 21 points. I, I, think our, I think our team was that built for this year, but with all the questions. And we don't know who the quarterback is. We don't know who's healthy on the offensive line. We don't know who's healthy on the defense. Um, I'm, I'm – it's one of those things, man, where you know, I think we can win this game, yes. But if, we, if we're if we turning the ball over early, it's going to be BC last year. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, we clearly have more talent, even regardless if a few guys are sitting out. Yeah, and, and please don't excuse my, my pick as saying we're definitely going to win. I, I, I don't necessarily uh, think that. But no. I think that as long as – the pieces we think are going to be playing are playing that we have enough to get past this team. Yeah. Um, I, I, but if we but, don't do, if we don't execute and we don't do the right things or they come out and play one of the best games that they could possibly play, then we're still probably in a, in a tough spot here. But I, yeah. I think we've got enough talent and we've got enough talent in our two deep yeah. to, to, to match up with what they have. Got it. All right. So my prediction is going to be this. I'm going to go a little higher than what you did. Um, okay. I, I still think we're going to win this game. And I'm going to go Virginia Tech 34, Wake Forest 30. Excuse okay. me, State 30. Um, and the way I kind of see this game is similar to the last time we played Tony Gibson. I think the defense will come up late when they're forcing Hoffman to have to throw with more than a three-point lead, I think we stop them, and that's the end of the game. Okay. All right, Brian. Let's move on. That was hard. It points this week, Brian. I was like, we're going to lose this game. To we're going to beat them by two touchdowns. To where I finally landed, which is somewhere in the middle <laughs> of us winning. All right, but Lion. Let's do it real quick. Quick hit conference reactions to three games last week of some of our future opponents. Um, let's start with the Louisville-Miami game. What did you think Saturday night when that game played? Well, um, I was off. <laughs> I was a little off with my expectations there. What do you think? Uh, you know, you, you said Louisville, and I, I had to go against you, man. And believe it or not, you went against some stuff you talked about to me with the secondary of Miami, and and, and that's kind of what happened, right? The secondary yeah. of Miami, although it's not the elite secondary of the early 2000s or the 1990s, they're still better than Louisville or what Louisville likes to do. Louisville didn't hit a home run. No. They barely got a couple bubbles. 
and it just hampered them. And you could see it. Me and you were texting. It's like if they can't get a big play, they they don't know what to do. Yeah, and, I mean, th- their idea is is to stretch you out and then hit you over the top. And if you can't, if they can't hit you over the top, stretching you out becomes a problem. It does because you ain't worried about you anymore. Because you're going you're going lateral. You're not gaining forward yardage. You're not getting enough forward yardage consistently to sustain drives. Exactly. And the other thing that we kind of figured out about Louisville is. Well, that defense, it's not much better than last year. Miami essentially kind of did what they wanted from the beginning to the end of that game. Um, so Louisville still has some ways to go. We discussed Miami the previous show, and we discussed Louisville as well. I, I hate to say this. If we go fully healthy into Louisville, I feel better about that game. But yeah, I, I'll say that. I feel better about that game seeing what Miami was able to do to them. Yep. Than I did earlier. I feel a little worse about Miami. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, about playing my I don't not not significantly worse, but I think they're probably they looked a lot crisper. I know they're playing the caliber of defense was not great. Yeah. But they looked a lot crisper than they did in the first week. Glad we're not playing them this week. Let's just say that. Big All right. up there, buddy. Next quick hit. Next quick hit. Um Pittsburgh, Syracuse. Um, Denny first, Green. We both got that right. Yeah, Denny Green. Denny Green. Pick it is who we thought he was. Oh my God, he he, he yeah yeah it, you know we know Syracuse has an okay defense, but if nothing else, it kind of showed you Kenny. I mean, Kenny Pickett is who he is, and for Pitt. Again, it makes me feel better about Pitt. We don't play Syracuse this year. It would make me feel even better if we played Syracuse this year. It would would be like a gimme game. But they're going to have to win games like that. There's going to be games where if, if they don't get to 21, they're going to lose, and that defense is good. And just he just uh, – yeah. We comfortably covered. It wasn't even in question. Like the whole game is just like 22 and a half points. We got this. Yep. Oh, they got here. We still got this. Yep. They can score again. We got this. All right. All right, Brian. Kind of shocker of the week last week. Um, one that, again, you took the L on. I took the W. BC took um, Duke kind of behind the woodshed. Um, <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, they definitely had some turnovers in this game. I mean, you know, which didn't help. You know, Chase Bryce threw two picks. And, you know, essentially they they lose three fumbles as well. So five total turnovers, which usually don't see from David Clough's teams. But for BC, they not only – with the turnovers, they capitalized on those turnovers. Yeah. They didn't go out there and screw the pooch on it. They went out there and just put the hammer down, which, you know, kind of, you know, with with with, with the new kind of system there with Halfley, new defense, definitely throwing, not throwing the ball more, but throwing the ball more downfield and more attacking, I'm kind of shocked. Yeah, it feels like they're attacking the whole field a lot more than they have been in the past. So, um, you know, they're still, I think, really heavy with the run, but the fact that they can really attack you in the passing game at a lot of different levels now is going to create more 
opportunities in the running game for them, um, even than they've had in the past. So, um, but obviously Duke didn't do themselves any favors with the turnovers. Um, hard to come back from five turnovers. I mean, we saw it against BC ourselves last year. When you have five turnovers, even if you have more talent, you're going to be in trouble. And I don't think at this point Duke is significantly more talented than BC. And, no. you know, in, in a lot of cases, the whole units, they're a lot less talented than, than BC. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it showed up on the on the game. It did. Now, you talked about running the ball. Um, you know, BC ran the ball 41 times. They only got 84 yards. To me, that is a bit of a concern this early. That is like two yards of carry, which is something we just unexpected from BC. Um, so even though, you know, Jerkovich had a great game, 300 yards, you know, you know, 13 yards in attempt, which is really good, and two touchdowns. If the team doesn't turn over the ball five times, can you do that? Can you run the ball for two yards on average and still win a game? Don't know. Um, definitely this weekend, BC plays Texas State. We're not picking that game. It's an out-of-conference game. But, you know, I'm interested to see how that goes because if we see another a lesser opponent and they can't muster, I'd say this week, if they don't muster four and a half yards of carry, then it might get concerning for BC because, you know, they're still not that good of a team yet, and usually you have to depend on something. So can they depend on Jerkovich's arm all year? I don't yeah. think so, and we'll, we'll learn more about them. But let's go to Brian now. Let's go to making some picks. Let's do it. Let's do this. Now, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out. Everybody probably already knows Duke, uh, Wake Forest, Notre Dame was canceled um, for COVID reasons. You know, apparently Notre Dame's seven players got um, tested positive. Yeah. So, you know. It was like combining that with with contact tracing. They had a a pretty good number, especially at key positions that were sitting. So they were going to have a little trouble fielding a team against uh, against Wake this week. And, you know, as we move forward, I mean, I think we're going to see probably one or two of these a week, especially – early in the season until we, you know, a lot of these guys end up with the situation like we have with, with Dax where he's uh, got three months. (laughs) Or everybody just should have just, they should have just like, everybody, we're just going to give it to each other. other Why do I have a feeling that's what the SEC did? Like they had like back in like late, late July or something, they had a COVID party and just said, Hey, get it now. (laughs) Well, also, but the, also the SEC, the majority of their state, they're, it's non-existent where they're at. So yeah. he's got it. Do the guys around him have it? No. They're playing. He ain't. Goodbye. And that's going to be – that's probably why they're going to get their schedule off in full because the, the states that regulate what they do aren't strict like that. Yeah. Whereas the ACC, you start getting into North Carolina, Virginia, um, obviously New York, it's stricter. So, Yeah. But let's pick these games. Brian, let's start with this. We get to pick them again. Georgia Tech, Syracuse. This will be at Syracuse. Georgia Tech laying seven and a half points. What do you you feel on this one? Give me GT. All right. Brian, you are laying that seven and a half. Yes, sir. And, man, this is a tough one for me. I'm going to go against you, though. 
Okay. I don't think either one of these offenses are good. I think seven and a half is not enough points to be laying because I think this is going to be an ugly game. Like Florida State, Georgia Tech, ugly without a three-hour delay that slowed the momentum of a team down. Okay. okay. I, I'll say I'll say I think Georgia Tech wins the game, but the score is going to be like four. You think it's a tight one, ugly, ugly. 2117, something like that. Ugly, yeah. 16-7. Excuse me. 16-9. I gotta win that one. Change that score real quick, man. Next one. The the Cousins down here on 64. Duke plays at UVA. UVA laying five. What do you think about this one, Brian? This is the one I've been going back and forth on for a while now. You know, I've been doing the same thing. Um, it, you know, you're weighing this against UVA's got tape on Duke to prepare versus Duke gets UVA fresh. They haven't had a had a game yet, so there's probably going to be some rust uh, on UVA's part. So it's really hard to to say which way that's going to go. I'm going to still I'm going to go UVA. Okay. All right, so we landed on opposite ends of the spectrum. I don't think a David Cutcliffe team is going to play two horrible games in a row, and I think five okay. is enough to where um, I think they could outright win it. I think UVA's defense is probably good enough to hold them tight. Again, I think another super tight, lower-scoring game, something in the neighborhood of, like, 2017. Okay. Uh, UVA probably with the win, but Duke will cover if Brennan Armstrong makes some of those throws we've seen in his videos, they could lose this game probably by 10 because well, I think I mean, we know he can um, run a sprint out and throw to the sideline. And he but, does it even better when you put a fisheye lens on it. <laughs> <laughs> love it, Brian. Love it. All right. Let's go next to the Saturday night game, Florida state, Miami. It's at Miami. Miami is laying 11 points. Um, obviously Mike Norvell ain't coaching this week because he nope. got COVID. <laughs> he got the Rona. He got uh, the Rona. I'll let you pick first on this one. All right, I'm gonna pick first on this one. I think Miami continues to roll, Brian. Um, and it's more of not necessarily not having, um, not having Norvell there, but with this offense, him having a very key hand into it. And Miami rolling right now. They're still kind of fixing their defense other than the defensive line at Florida State. I think just 11 is too much. I think you're going to see similar to last week. I, I probably put probably like 38-20 Miami. Okay. okay. Um, I, 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 I just can't see Florida State keeping up with them by more than two touchdowns. It, it could prove me wrong and those kids get up for this game like it's happened in the past, but I, I can't see that this week. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with you on that one with Miami. Uh, I just think it's going to be too much probably for FSU to overcome between Norvell being out, playing a quality opponent, um, playing an opponent that they can't kind of push the ball downfield with. Um, Both teams have garbage offensive lines, but um, I think without having some of the coaches on the sideline that that's going to impact FSU more than it does Miami. 
Um, especially because a having a guy like King can kind of overcome some of that. So I'm going to go Miami to cover. Got it, man. All right, let's take a quick exit out of conference for a couple games here, Brian. And let's go to a couple of the big top 25 matchups. The first one is going to be down on the Plains, Jordan-Hare Stadium. Number 23, Kentucky, takes on number eight, Auburn. Auburn is laying seven and a half points. Brian, I'm going to go ahead and jump on this one first, man. Um, I've got to take Kentucky. And a couple reasons why. A, Stoops gets teams to go into grinding fest no matter if they're more talented or not. He's got Scary Terry Wilson back, not Lynn Bowden. Talk about him and uh, yep. certain things that happened last year. Um, but Auburn lost a lot of their defense to the NFL. And I know they're one of those programs that have a lot of talent constantly on the roster. But do you know, Brian, last four meetings for these teams, road team has won. Okay. Give me Kentucky. Give me the seven and a half points. I think Auburn's going to win the game. I think they're going to snap the streak, but it's going to be like a last second field goal. Give me in the mid 20s, 24 21 Auburn, but Kentucky covers. Okay. Okay. Ah. Where to go on this one? This one's this one was one of the tough ones. I was kind of rolling around and still not sure where I wanted to go with. I'm gonna since I'm I'm undecided. I'm actually gonna just go ahead and take Auburn just to be different. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it, both of them are gonna turn into a little bit of a grind fest, but I'm I'm gonna call the uh, the, the backdoor cover here. Uh, Hi. Back backdoor cover to win. So give me something like. Hmm. Give me was was the line seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah, twenty-eight twenty. <laughs> twenty. Okay. Hey, backdoors coming happen all the time, man. All right, let's go to the next touchdown. Time. Touchdown. Sorry. <laughs> Who scored? Was it Jacecki? You better score. Not... Robinson. Oh, you're really happy then, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pushing 30 with Robinson, so we're good. Oh, man, he blew up for you tonight. That's James Robinson, right, of the Jack- yes, Jaguars. Jaguars. All right, well, let's go to the other top 25 game this weekend, the Black Knights of Army against the Cincinnati Bearcats. This game is at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is laying 14 and a half. Who you got, Brian? Uh, give me Army in the 14 and a half. Hey, buddy, I'm right with you. And you want to know why? What you got? Army runs a triple option, right? Oh, yeah. There is going to be a limited number of possessions in this game. <laughs> and I don't think Cincinnati is going to get enough possessions to actually blow them out by more than two touchdowns. I think Cincinnati probably wins the game. But somewhere like 28-21, it's, you know, playing the option teams takes away so many of your possessions because even if they go three and out, they're still taking so much time off the clock. Yeah, the thing with Sensi is Sensi's going to have to be getting points pretty much on every drive. Yeah. Um, and to, cover. to cover, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, Army's going to probably have three or four long drives and two or three more that are longer than – Cincinnati wants them to be. 
Wow. Um, so I, I think that's going to be problematic for them. And, and like you said, it's going to shorten the game. And I think since he still wins outright, but I don't think it's going to be 14 and a half. Nah. And, and I think it's going to be an entertaining game, man. I mean, 3.30 slate, some, some games we didn't choose, talked about West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Mississippi State, LSU. Um, even though we're not picking it because we didn't decide on it, give me Mississippi State with the points. I don't think LSU with a non-hostile Death Valley is going to be able to get 17 on Leach. Yeah. And Texas, Texas Tech, a lot of really good games this weekend. Again, we said it earlier. This is like the first really full weekend. Big 12, ACC, AAC, um, SEC, all in play. All right, last pick, Brian, because this is kind of the big one for the conference. High noon. I'm going to miss a good amount of it, so I expect you to be giving me how many times Kenny Pickett looks terrible. <laughs> Louisville, Pitt. This is at Pitt. Normal, yep. normal conditions for them there. Normal conditions. Pitt is laying two and a half, which. I'm I'm just kind of sitting here like, huh? Really? What do you, you know, Brian? You you love with the army one. I'm gonna leave with this one. Give okay. me Bill for the legal limit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, Louisville's defense isn't good, but Penny King ain't ain't gonna light the world on fire. Louisville's gonna win the game outright. And I think this will be one of those pit games where it gets probably closer to 30, but Pickett ain't going to get to 30. Give me 27-20 Louisville. 27-20 Louisville. Okay. Okay. Man. I hate to do it. Okay. I'm going to take Pitt. And the points um, to cover the three. Was it two and a half? Two and a half. So two it's and a half. Yeah. So I'm essentially picking Pitt to win the game. Um, How do you feel about that? <laughs> it's it, it it hurts my soul, man. I picked UVA and Pitt <laughs> and Miami in the same damn pick 'em. <laughs> hey, listen, I picked. But hey, you know we're, t- we're we're talking about you know picks here, not you know do I like the team or not. Um, yeah, I think at this point, seeing what happened in Miami, I don't trust that secondary enough. I'm not saying Kenny Pickens going to go out there and light it up, (laughs) but I could see it being like a a 31, 28 win by Pitt. So you're, you're thinking that Pitt's going to take away enough home runs where, and, and they might end up getting a defensive touchdown. Gotcha. All right. Got it. All right. So that's the picks for the week. We go look back last week. Brian went three and two. Improving Brian. Good for you. I went four and one. So records right now, I'm seven and four. Brian is five and six. Hopefully, Brian, you can get over the 500 hump this weekend. And we'll go back, guys. We'll recap our Virginia Tech NC State pick. Brian's going 31-24. I'm going 34-30, both Virginia Tech. That line, let's see where it is as of right now. It was a seven. seven. Yeah. <laughs> I think started at 11 and a half. And if you really want to know how many players are out, A, listen to the pregame show. I'm sure Wes and all the guys will be talking about who's on the field, who's not on the field. But if you're not near a radio, pick up your phone and whatever app you use to see betting lines, 
if that line is trending further down, that means there's probably quite a few players that aren't there for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, if I if I was making the line myself based on the information I have, I'd put it at about four or five. Yeah, me and you about yeah four four probably four. Let's meet in the middle. Yeah, we'll say half. four and a half. I'd, I'd I'd put it at four and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah, Even I don't, I don't think it's going to be a pick 'em, but at the same time, I think there's enough question marks with probably who we're going to end up having on the field to where you don't feel the same confidence that you normally would. Absolutely. All right, Brian, get back to our fun end of show segment. What you smoking, Steve? So I'm going this weekend some jalapeno poppers and some smoked queso. Very nice. Uh, Low-key this week. I, I'm guessing this is probably has a lot to do with us having a night game and you probably going to be antsy <laughs> most of the day. Right? Yeah, yeah, and we got some plans to do, like, some fall activities uh, on Saturdays, so I won't have a full day to kind of sit around and, uh, and watch a smoker. So trying to do something that only takes about, you know, an hour or two. Um, something I can probably even do on my, my Weber kettle versus having to fire up the Smoky Mountain. <laughs> Very nice, my friend. Well, Brian, I'm going to do one last Twitter check. And since we've been on the air, the Mountain West Conference is back. They will start an eight-game football schedule starting October 24th, title game on the 19th. No shock there. I think the only one that's not back right now is the Mac, and the rumors are they're coming tomorrow, right? Yeah, rumors are that, that we'll get some action tomorrow, man. Maction wins. The Mac should just be smart and just say we're playing every game on Wednesday. Yep. <laughs> every, every game on Wednesday. Give everybody something to do right in the middle of the week. Um, when, get get the full spotlight on them. Well, well, think about it too. They're in the Midwest where if they did a 6 p.m. kick and a 9 p.m. kick, they literally could get ESPNU, ESPN2. They I think they have a CBS. They literally could have all their games televised at six and nine on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And there would be degenerate gamblers and people like me. There's nothing else on. And yeah, I'm going to watch a couple quarters of the home action. And uh, let me look here. Let me look here. We're not seeing. Looks like our game is still on as of 11.01. Hey. Hour and 10 minutes later. So let's cross our fingers for the next roughly really 24, 36 hours that everything turns up gravy. And we're seeing – uh. We're seeing our Hokies play on Saturday night. So, Brian, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify and Apple Podcast. Will our buddy Jason Long play us out as always? Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you always for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.